1: must say there's certainly some reading in the local papers with regards to that documentary that's coming up on the BBC on Tuesday night. Alison Morris writing in the Irish News starting with UVF bombing at a County Down Reservoir in 1969 was financed by the late DUP leader Ian Paisley, a retired British Army commander has claimed. Uh, Former company commander David Hancock was stationed near Silent Valley when the bomb exploded on April 20th, cutting off part of the water supply to Belfast. Uh, Speaking to the BBC spotlight for the special series on the Troubles. He said an RUC inspector based at Kilkeel showed him evidence that the attack was financed by the firebrand preacher turned Stormont First Minister. That's on the front of the Irish News. Uh, Ivan Little is writing in the Belfast Telegraph under the headline, McGuinness and Paisley, new claims over their terror roles. Uh, Previously unseen footage of the late Martin McGuinness showing a gun to children and at the preparation of a car bomb is set to be broadcast. A major new BBC Spotlight documentary will also air claims from a former senior army officer that the late Ian Paisley helped fund a UVF bombing campaign in the 1960s. And in the newsletter, it says McGuinness bombed and gave bullets to kids and the Sam McBride writing says Martin McGuinness was personally involved in at least one car bombing and handed bullets to tiny children aged about eight. A BBC spotlight investigation will next week reveal the future deputy first minister, who is now revered by Republicans as a, as a heroic figure, was captured in footage which has never been seen before. Uh, uh, and it's not it's uh, it's unclear as to why it's never been broadcast before. Um, Although it uh, has long been known that Mr McGuinness was an IRA commander, he refuses to discuss his actions in the organisation. He refused to discuss his actions in the organisation and insisted that he hadn't killed uh, anyone. Uh, Just some of the uh, commentary in the papers this morning and the headline, as I say, in the Daily Mirror is chuckle bombers Uh, we'll be talking about that after this uh, here on the the program we're going to be uh, dealing uh, with that and we'll be speaking to some of the people who've been writing about it and also to some of those who've actually been looking at it you'll get a chance to see it on tuesday night on bbc television when they broadcast the spotlight program now one of the people who has been writing is uh, sam mcbride who's with the newsletter um sam good morning Good morning to you. Uh, Sam, I was just reminding people of how the papers have covered it this morning. Uh, No surprise, you in the newsletter put the spotlight in the headline on McGuinness. The Irish News put the spotlight on Paisley. The Telegraph and the Mirror go with both of them. But it's going to be interesting viewing on Tuesday night on the BBC. Having said that, Should we be more surprised, as John Tong has suggested to us on this show this morning, about Paisley's support for the UVF than we should be regarding McGuinness having a gun, giving bullets to children and loading a car bomb?
0: It's a a very good question and I think you're you're shrewd in terms of picking up on how different papers have approached this. Um, I mean, just just to explain my thinking and because I I wrote our story um, yesterday, we we had a preview of this earlier in the week, um, and uh, I I had a couple of days to think about it. And The reason that that for me the McGuinness stuff um, was on our front page was not because he was a Republican, albeit the newsletter is clearly not supportive of uh, of, uh, the IRA or anything which he was doing in that period, but it was really down to the nature of the evidence. So with, with McGuinness, what we see in this um, film is pretty remarkable First hand footage. So it's incontrovertible, it is in your face. He is building a car bomb and the car bomb goes off. They track it via its number plate and they show where it explodes um, about 30 minutes later in the center of, of Martin McGuinness's own city of Londonderry. That that is quite quite different, if you like, to what they say about um, Ian Paisley. Both are hugely significant, and I mean we've given very extensive space to both. But I think that what we have there raises more questions because we've got an army colonel saying that he was told by a senior uh, by a senior RUC officer um, in Kilkeel that he had evidence, and he showed him evidence that Paisley had funded one of the first bombings of the Troubles and a hugely significant um, political event, effectively what was a quasi-coup, if you like, against the the then Prime Minister Terence O'Neill. So a very, very significant moment, not just in terms of um, and the act of terrorism and all of that entails in terms of the criminal law but in terms of the constitutional significance of this it's a very, very important moment in, in the history of Northern Ireland. But what, what we lack there is the actual evidence itself. So we have got somebody who ought to be a pretty reliable source and that's why we take it seriously who is saying that he saw this but it, it, it really raises the, the very obvious question as to if the, if the Northern Ireland government if the RUC at this point had this evidence and if it was clear cut why on earth was Paisley not charged with this why did he not go to court and some people who are um, Irish Republicans might think, well, there was some sort of collusion there. They didn't want to prosecute him because he was a unionist. And that, that I don't think really stands up because we know that the, the government at that point did prosecute um, Paisley. He was in jail for public order offences. He was somebody who was really a scourge of the unionist establishment at that point. And from this programme, we learn in a second very interesting um, piece of evidence about Ian Paisley that, from the from like 1966, Terence O'Neill had ordered the RUC to really follow Paisley around in an in an intelligence capacity. They were to record all of his speeches, all of his sermons, with a view to prosecution. So if they were if they were trying to prosecute him for what are much lesser offences of really um, stirring people up against the the government, of uh, saying things that are reckless to the point of being criminal, and um, that clearly is much less significant than clear cut evidence that he funded a terrorist bomb. So. I think both of these are very significant stories, and um, I think we, 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 should, we should take them both very seriously, and they're worthy of debate. But I think the, the footage of McGuinness, because of its nature to me, um, was just much more convincing and much more clear cut.
1: It would come as no surprise to people who lived through that era that Ian Paisley would have been supportive of the UVF in the early stages. He would have been seen as someone who maybe was speaking with the forked tongue where he was criticising terrorists on one hand but at the same time giving succour to them by the way that he spoke uh, on the the other. Now, whether or not he actually funded a bombing campaign there's there's no evidence but it won't surprise people that he would have been to use a colloquial term up to his neck in it
0: I think that in both of these cases, you will have people in Northern Ireland who clearly will say, what's, what's the story here? Sure, we knew that Paisley was involved with loyalist paramilitaries, at least in that period. Sure, we knew that Martin McGuinness was, was, was in the IRA and ergo, that meant that he was involved in bombing and he was involved in shooting and acts of terrorism. Um, and that is, that is, that is a valid point of view. But I think that there, there are clearly people in Northern Ireland who either have never accepted that um, you can you can look at the uh, vote for for um, for Sinn Féin and for the DUP, even in those um, early periods. It was obviously, we um, founded the DUP several years later. But there, there was clearly a section of, of the of the Northern Ireland society which either didn't care about those things or didn't believe what was being said about them at the time. And therefore, I think having evidence of this um, goes far beyond um, the uh, sort of classically uh, dogs in the street know what's going on. That's that's all well and good, but I think that when when we come to assess this in a historical context it's important to have the evidence of this and in both of these cases we have got some evidence and um, I think there, there's, a, there's a difference in terms of the strength of that evidence but we, we have got some significant evidence that adds to our understanding of what was actually going on and I think in the terms of the UVF I think Paisley certainly had an ambiguous um, relationship with the UVF in those years but I think that he he always argued publicly to the best of my knowledge that, that he was not supportive of the uvf he certainly would have argued that he was not supportive of them at the point where they were killing people or breaking the law and um, people in the uvf at, at, at that point and other loyalists were clearly um, pretty contemptuous of that and thought that he was, the, the, they would have called him the grand old Duke of York who had marched them up the hill and then left them there and abandoned them and gone on to have a, have a very successful political career. But whatever about that, I think having evidence of what these people actually did as opposed to what we think they might have done or speculation, it really removes an, an, an element, if you like, of that, um, that lack of clarity and that Um, that ambiguity around what was actually going on and I think when it comes to both Ian Paisley and Martin McGuinness and perhaps particularly Martin McGuinness there are people in Northern Ireland who did not live through that period, I I did not live through that period but there, there are people who did not even live through um, any period of the troubles, Um, people who are now voting um, who were were not even born at the time of the Good Friday Agreement. So to them, I think, um, in many cases, and I'm I'm not meaning to be patronising because some of them will be interested in history and will have read about this, but understandably many of those people will not have a sense of what went before. They will only ever have encountered Ian Paisley and Martin McGuinness in, in the form of statesmen, of peacemakers, of people who were, if you like, trying to make Northern Ireland work, I think this is a very stark reminder that that is only um, a best part of their stories.
1: Of course, and for people of my age group, many people would have seen the rhetoric of Ian Paisley as almost the speech of a recruiting sergeant for loyalist paramilitaries, whether or not he was involved in an actual bombing campaign or funding the, the bombing campaigns. There's never been any evidence of, of that. But his his rhetoric drew young loyalists into illegal organisations?
0: Well, I think, I mean, that is that is true insofar as we have got people who have said publicly as, as members of the UVF or the UDA that they joined up based on what they heard from Paisley. Now, I mean, yes, yes, we've got to be, I suppose, careful to a certain extent about just accepting what everyone says retrospectively to justify their actions. But I think that there was clearly a... A febrile and a, a a very um unstable um situation in northern Ireland at this point we we know what happens in northern Ireland when when people feel that they 're under threat at this point. people were um in in a, in a unionist sense i suppose felt constitutionally under threat in a way that they had never felt before in the history of northern Ireland and i think that there 's a very interesting um, element of of this spotlight program as well where they moved beyond Paisley and McGuinness and they, they, they have this um, top-secret memo from a senior army officer, the most senior officer in the British Army, um, General Sir Mike Carver. He was Chief of the Land Forces at the, this time. and. He he says in in this memo, which was only seen by one cabinet minister, that really, in in his view, the solution to um, to the, the the Northern Ireland problem, if you like, from from his point of view and from the British government's point of view, was to have have a border poll, and ultimately, it was to have a. To, to, to move beyond British rule to having Irish unity. Now, that, I suppose, in in some ways backs up not what people did in terms of loyalist terrorists in that point, but it backs up the the evidence, I suppose, that this was a point at which Northern Ireland constitutionally was perhaps even more unstable and insecure than even people realised at that point. I mean, it would have been pretty extraordinary if at that point people had realised... And I think it would have been pretty extraordinary to the IRA in terms of what what they were trying to achieve if they had realized that at that point in the early 1970s, They had got the British government and the British military to a point where they they were at least discussing the possibility of just trying to get rid of Northern Ireland because they couldn't see any other way of solving this problem.
1: And one final point, the footage of Martin McGuinness with the gun giving the bullets to the children and being associated with the car that eventually exploded, I think, in Shipkey Street... Where did that footage come from? Was that was that, was that sourced in a, in America? Because people will be really interested to see this.
0: It's it's a it's a it's a very good question, and the the honest answer is that I don't know. But there is an element of mystique around this, and there was a preview screening of this earlier in the week, and the the uh, the BBC reporters behind this said that um, they would not answer that question at this point, but they said that in future episodes, this is part of a seven part series and they said that in future episodes that question will be answered. It seems that there is some significance to this footage, to, um, to how it has um, either been gathered, or how it has been lost and found, or whatever has gone on there, there is something significant about this, which we don't at this point know. But one, one of the really interesting elements about this, if we, if we go beyond um, people saying that, yes, we knew that Martin McGuinness was in the IRA, yes, we knew that that would necessarily have entailed him planting bombs or being involved in that, One of the really significant elements of this is seeing him um, going up to children. um, He's sitting in a a car at the time. He's showing them guns. He's handing them bullets. These are very young children, perhaps eight, nine, ten years of age. And we've got a former IRA bomber, um, Shane Paul O'Doherty, who was was somebody who would have known Martin McGuinness at that time, who was involved in bombing himself, but who now regrets it. And he, he commentates, really, on this footage as it is broadcast, and he says... It's horrific, really, because here was McGinnis showing 8-, 9-, and 10-year-olds guns and bullets. They were exciting. People had a feeling that you were in television. You knew you were superstars. And what really stuck in my mind when I saw that was what ultimately became of those children. We, we knew that at that point, unlike what Martin McGinnis probably thought at that point, they were not on the cusp of victory. Um, the troubles were to go on for decades to come. Did some of those children, impressionable as they were, end up becoming killers themselves?
1: It's a very relevant uh, question. Uh, to Sam, thank you very much indeed. Sam McBride from the newsletter. Uh, Ivan Little suggesting in his article in the Belfast Telegraph that the material comes from an American TV filmmaker. Uh, the, the BBC, I presume, will tell us more as the series goes by, but uh, there's.